0: Welcome to the 26th episode of the Sirens of Scream, the geek podcast that proves sometimes dead is better. My name is Sierra Houck, and I'm here with my co-sirens, Jackie DeVore. Hello. And Melissa Meehan. Hello. And you guys are both sick again.
1: (laughs) 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 It's like our germs have matched up their schedules. I don't know what's up with this.
2: Yeah, I don't Three, know what's six happening. Simultaneously,
1: <laughs> luckily, it's been on like episodes where you were already taking the lead and going to give us like all kinds of cool info anyway, so we can like chill.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be another episode where I just get to tell you guys stories. That's awesome. <laughs> which is gonna be great. But before we get into that, let's talk about the things that we're obsessed with right now. And I wanna start off because mine's really easy. There's a clothing slash accessory company called Creepy Co. And specifically they have collection of goosebumps, shirts and pins and things. And I just want to mention this because my birthday is coming up and <laughs> I want everything. You Hashtag don't say. i wish list. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just putting it out in the universe. <laughs> they have some Welcome to Horrorland pins and Haunted Mask shirts. And it's all just...
1: Oh like, my god, the it's, Welcome it's to exactly,
0: Horrorland. It's exactly what like eight-year-old Sierra imagined adult Sierra would wear. So I just want to, like, fulfill her dreams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is wonderful.
0: And the rest of the stuff on their site's really good, too. They have some stuff that says, not sorry, we're creepy. <laughs> we need that. Vincent Price pins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just in general, all of this stuff is, like, major heart eyes. They just
1: have... Out. Apparently, they're, like, their shop is closed while they're on vacation, and their away message is gone hunting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's just adorable. That's the only thing I wanted to bring up this time, because I'm gonna be talking a lot later. So very cool. Melissa, do you wanna tell us about all the cool artists you
2: saw? Yeah, I went to um a new con. It was uh, the debut of this con called Five Points Festival. And they had it down in the Lower East Side in New York City. And it's an interesting idea because what they did was they took and mixed together comic book creators, artists and writers. Along with collector toy builders and and artists, different kinds of artists, mm-hmm. so you have all these, and I don't really know much about this kind of like toy industry, like adult collect collectible toys, which is a lot of like vinyl and plastic toys that are crazy. I don't know it's it's crazy like you walk around and look at them like it seems <laughs> they seem insanely expensive, but then you know I said, well, Some of these people probably think, like, who would pay $200 for a comic book, too? So, yeah, But it was really interesting. I collected a few artists of my own to share with you guys while I was there. Very cool. So the first one I want to share is actually a couple who both do their own kind of style of creatures. Their names are Chris Reiniak and Amanda Louise Spade. And you can find all of their stuff on bindlewood.com. That's their store. Chris Reiniak has these really adorable, like... Wrinkly little monsters that sort of all have like one or two teeth. Have these little snaggle teeth, and I have these little postcards that I got for you guys that you'll be getting in the mail soon of these little creatures. <laughs> <mosquitoes. laughs> Yay! <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and uh, and mm. my fat my fat little unicorn that I got. So they're really adorable. They do like stickers. They do postcards. They do little collectible toys. And if you take a look. <laughs> I read a great article about Chris Reiniak, I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong, where if he can't come up with a new monster idea, he just takes one of his monsters and he puts them in a costume. (laughs) There's like a little monster in a pizza suit and there's like a little monster wearing a unicorn suit. (laughs) Nice. There's adorable little monsters that are sort of pretending to be other things. Amanda Louise Spade does a group of monsters. She calls them dust bunnies, which I thought were particularly adorable. I got one of these dust buddies for Sierra. I love them because they all have like little (laughs) buck teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Like little buck teeth and like funny little freckles and big bug eyes. And they're just the most adorable (laughs) little critters. (laughs) (laughs) You can find all their stuff on Bindlewood. Um, Chris Reiniak also has a great Instagram account that I've been following where he does sketch drawing he does sketches every day where he comes up with like monster ideas and and sketches them in little videos for everybody
1: that's awesome
2: the other one i wanted to share the website is called a1plastic and the artist's name is kevin durkin i will say this guy doesn't seem to have a very big online presence but his stuff on the table blew me away he does these like giant helmets kind of very like post-apocalyptic looking helmets with like dirty, war torn, sort of paint washes over them. Interesting. Yeah, he made this one. I, I shared a few pictures of it while I was there. It, I think he calls it the bonehead, bonehead helmet. And it's got these like skulls all over it and what kind of look like spines coming out of them oh, and machinery.
1: Right. Yeah, I saw you, uh, the post that you made of that. It looked really fucking cool.
2: Yeah, it's it's like, it's got this very like sci fi look to it. And the the amount of texture that this guy gets on these things with. The detail he puts into the work and the, the paint washes that he does. I mean, I thought they were made out of wood. And I asked him and he's like, no, they're plastic. I thought they were wood and metal. They just had so much texture. But they're amazing. And he does a lot of stuff with like skulls and creepy things. And everything looks like it's been kind of like banged up and. Worn through a war or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, these look cool as shit. This is like something you would find in a
2: darker Mad Max world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And to see them up close, I, just, I was drawn to the table and just like the amount of detail. And he makes little like little figures, little robots. and it's awesome. You know, a whole new world of like <laughs> like awesome, creepy toy making that I never was exposed to before. I think the last one I had here that I wanted to share. The artist is Alex Solis, and you can find his work on a site called Oddworks. It's O-D-D-W-O-R-X, oddworks.com. This guy I love because he had the weirdest quirkiest shit. Like I bought a coloring <laughs> book from him, The Adorable Circle of Life, and I'm showing you guys this on <laughs> camera so you can see. That's and so it's cute. <laughs> basically an entire book of like adorable animals eating each other. See these cute fat little animals like eating each other and each animal oh. has another animal in its mouth. <laughs> And That's you can wonderful. get like, he had these big prints with like, and all of them have just like blood seeping out of their mouths. And there's a whole book on it. I bought the coloring books. So I can color my own. Nice. But I looked at these and I thought like, they're so cute. I don't like, I don't, wouldn't feel good about giving them to my kid necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really know where they fit. So I'm just going to buy a coloring book and make pictures. But you can buy the adorable circle of life coloring book or the, the heart they have. And they actually make like a board book. So it's like a kid's style board book with all these animals in it yeah and then you can get a mini book or you can buy stickers if you want animals adorable animals chewing on each other and bleeding <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that this guy did which i thought was just genius is he does this whole series look at the book here he does like different oh yeah, it's one called baby terrors too which is pretty funny baby terrors coloring book it's got like little like little skulls riding on sawhorses and These uh, just scenes of like horror and and terror in like a children's book style. Mm -hmm. Very cool. There's like a dismembered arm holding crayons. Yeah, I just love his sense of humor. So the other thing he does, oh, he does, does something called Icons Unmasked and you can get it in a big book, but I also bought some stickers and it's just this genius idea where he takes these pop culture icons and each one is taking a mask off and showing who he is underneath. Oh, I thought you said on meth for a second. There, I was
3: like, <laughs> oh, I don't know about this.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little stuffy and I can't talk very loud. So, <laughs> icons unmasked, unmasked. Oh, okay, okay, called. I gotcha. Yeah. So there's like uh, a couple examples. There's <laughs> got like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, and he's he's hidden underneath Donald Trump. So like he's <laughs> holding the Trump mask in his arm. They're just genius. It's a whole book of them. There's the Iron Giant. And he takes his mask off and he's Bender underneath.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Futurama.
2: Yeah, they're just brilliant. There's so many of them. And I just, I stood there like going through, I'm probably going to have to buy this book because it just, every one of them just made me laugh hysterically. Totoro (laughs) takes his head off and he's got the princess inside from Super Mario. There's Jessica Rabbit. She takes her head off and she's Betty Boop underneath. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, pop culture icons hiding inside of other pop culture icons. You can find all that stuff at oddworks.com. And I definitely recommend the con if anybody's looking for something new to do. I think they'll probably do it again next year. It's called Five Points Fest. Tickets weren't expensive. They had a great selection of craft beer. They had food trucks with like delicious food outside. It was really well-organized con. I'll definitely go back to it again. And then one last recommendation I have that applies to our subject tonight is a game that I've been playing called Obduction spelled with an O. And it's from the makers of Mist. And it's very similar. If you guys played the old game Mist, it's very similar to that. It's exploration game point and click. It is a story of you get abducted. You're strolling around a, a nice pretty lake in a campsite at night, and you're abducted by some sort of spore-like alien organic thing that comes down from the sky. <laughs> and you wake up on this other planet and you're sort of trapped inside of like a dome that's made to look like Earth on the inside like a, like a hamster cage hmm. on another planet. And you have to search this area. There's, you can't find anyone else around the whole place is empty. You have to search the area and kind of do a combination of like watching tapes, listening to recordings, finding notes and clues and try to figure out where everybody went. Hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. I've been kind of making my way through it. And it's a very quiet game. Cause if you know, if you guys play exploration games, some people call them walking simulators. <laughs> it's a quiet kind of gameplay. There's not any battle or anything, but I really enjoy it because it, I get sucked into it and it's nice to just sit and kind of like roam around endlessly and open cabinets and look doors. And, and this game is beautiful visually too. Nice. So I recommend it. Abduction. Love those kinds of games. Yeah. and That was a lot, but I'm done. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Jackie, what you got?
1: I've got just a couple here. One of them is Occult Crimes, which is a show that I stumbled on on Netflix. Each episode goes into some kind of religious murders. <gasps> yeah, and they're all, they're all true. They're all real. And they... <laughs> it's actually surprisingly well done. Like, they, of course, there's the cheesy reenactment scenes, but the casting for the cheesy reenactment scenes is shockingly spot on. Like, they will show you the actual uh the people that were involved in this toward the end of the episode and it's like oh shit it really does look like that guy but it's not like it's not like the kind of creepy religious murders that everybody's heard about a million times and is kind of sick of hearing about but ones that you would never have known about Mm -hmm. and are really bizarre and you're wondering why this didn't make national news for like ever because it's really fucking weird but yeah as soon as i watched this even drew actually specifically said sierra would love this
2: (laughs) 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 yeah i was
1: like yes she would (laughs) but but, yeah that's on netflix it actually suggested i watch this other ghost hunter show that was really really beyond bad after watching that what was that one
0: called do you remember
1: i don't remember but it was like the kind of bad where it wasn't like funny or you know, fun, cheesy, bad. It was just bad. Yeah. So if it tells you watch this other show after you watch that, don't.
0: don't You're not going to get that time back. You'll <laughs> never
1: get it back. Occult <laughs> <laughs> crime says if you want something weird and creepy, go for it. The other recommendation I have is The Park, which is a little indie video game. And I haven't played through the entire thing, but I've played through enough to recommend it here. Basically, you are a mother who loses her son in an abandoned amusement park. And first of all, I get really upset about characters who are just, like, oblivious to their surroundings and, you know, let shit happen that shouldn't happen. Like, let your five-year-old son just run right past you into a creepy park. Yeah. Uh. So... That bottomed the shit out of me, but beyond that, the actual gameplay is is pretty neat. It's not, I mean, it's a point and click adventure kind of thing, but you're basically walking through this super creepy environment, and there's a, uh, it's very atmospheric. There's some really nice sound design going on there, and there are a lot of um flashes and jump scares and background stories and like all this like these creepy layers to this. And um, one thing I do want to note is the graphics aren't amazing. So if you get in there and you're like, oh, things are kind of boxy. This is weird. I don't I don't like this. Just give it a shot because it gets better. And they they really do a lot with what they have there. It actually is a very cool game. I'm excited to see the end of it there.
2: Is there actual battle in this game? Not
1: that I see. No. Not so far, but there is uh, like jumping out of the way of things here and there. But yeah, there's there's no fighting back that I know of.
0: I watched a playthrough of this one night because I couldn't fall asleep. So I was like, I'm just gonna watch the scary video game video that I can find. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That doesn't sound like a good plan to help you sleep.
0: (laughs) No, it was okay. But it did a good job of setting a mood, I think. Yeah, I watched it all the way through, even though I wasn't like interacting with it. So it was definitely like a good enough story to keep your attention.
1: Very cool. That's good to hear. So do you know the answer to is there like action that you fight back in?
0: I don't think there is. Not that I remember.
1: Well, it's a walking simulator, kind of, but not an exploration sort of
0: thing. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's more like a, a, a very atmospheric point-and-click kind of adventure thing. Like, you, it really tells a story and the story... It fun.
0: seemed like it was less about you interacting with the environment and more of the inter- the environment interacting with you
1: yeah, that's in a ways good way that to put
0: you it. didn't expect. And it kind of felt... It had the same emotion of, like, walking through a haunted house or something where, like, you kind of know what's going to happen because we've all seen the haunted trope done a lot of times. But then... Hmm feel like you're still gonna turn a corner and something's gonna get you and you know it's gonna get you but you you're scared you still wanna. <laughs> even though yeah you still want to keep going
1: <laughs> yeah and one thing i will say is uh ride the rides you can oh, skip yeah. past them <laughs> or you can go on them go on them they're fun <laughs> and that's all i have for this week
0: yay so let's take a short break and then i'm going to tell you guys about some aliens episode, I mostly just want to tell you guys about the time when I was probably about nine or ten, and my family and I saw a UFO. Mm, yes. yes. So it was kind of, it was late summer. We were out of school, I remember, and it was towards the part of the summer where you get really, like, you've run out of all the cool summer things to do. My family and I were just, like, trying to find anything to kind of keep us busy, and by the time it got cold enough to kind of be outside once it once the sun went down. We would go on walks downtown in Ashland and go down to Lithia Park. And Lithia Park has a big field and a duck pond when you first enter. And then once you go further back, there's play equipment and then there's all these trails. We were hanging out by the duck pond and all the ducks had gone to sleep. And we were just kind of quietly looking around, taking in the evening. I think it was probably a weekday cuz there wasn't too much going on and there weren't too many people around. We were around the Shakespeare Festival and so we could kind of hear some p- the plays going on there. We were all just like being kind of silent and taking it all in. And my dad's looking up at the stars and he says, "Oh, I just saw a shooting star." So we all all look up and try to see it and he's like, "Oh, that's weird. That shooting star just changed direction." Hmm. Huh. And so we all locate this well, it looks like a star, but it's moving at different speeds. Like it'll speed up and slow down and change direction. That's creepy. So it didn't seem like a satellite in any way because it was pretty like erratic. And it also was really hard to judge how far away it was because there were points where we thought it was maybe just something pretty close near us and just like reflecting light back. But then at other times it felt like it was kind of on the same plane as the other stars and other things in the sky. So we were all watching it and following it around for probably about 10 minutes. And we'd lose track of it and then we'd see it again until finally we lost track of it for the last time and it didn't really reappear. We're all just like really quiet for a while. And then finally we're like, that was really bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) Then we just turned around and went home without really like discussing it much more. And then on the way home, we passed by this house that was full of people out on their balcony all looking up at the sky like they had seen something, too, and they were trying to see it again. Did you talk to them? We didn't talk to them. They were kind of far away from where we were. Yeah. But it was reassuring to be like, oh, I bet those other people saw it, too. That was super strange. So I'm convinced it was a UFO. My dad tried to convince us otherwise of, like, it was just a bird flying around and reflecting the light back. Or it was a plane. But it moved so weird, and it didn't blink. It was always solid, but it would kind of become brighter, less bright, and kind of go back and forth in, in the depth of field and speed up and slow down and change directions, and it wasn't like anything we've ever seen before. Huh. Yeah, and then it was also um, interesting that, like, at the end, we were all – I think, felt excited to have seen it, but then none of us really wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Maybe this is a story for another podcast, but there was a time when I was a little kid too that we thought we saw Bigfoot. And then there was the time that my mom and I have had a couple of ghost experiences, just like things being knocked off of a counter or something like that, but like, still weird things that like everybody kind of notices, but that nobody feels ready to talk about right away. Yeah.
3: yeah. So it's like, you
0: are all kind of just like under a spell of not wanting to discuss it or dive into it, that I think I've heard other paranormal instances, like people recounting it, kind of have that same phenomenon of feeling kind of dazed and like not really like either their brain doesn't want them to dive into it or it's like a safety kind of like, I don't want to go after and look and see if that was Bigfoot or not. I'm just going to keep driving. Hmm. So I thought that was a weird occurrence. And my family and I still talk about it every so often. And does your dad still deny that it may have been a I think he thinks it is, but then as a, joke, a cop he keeps, out. yeah, <laughs> he plays devil's advocate just to kind of be a butt. But I think he probably thinks it was. That's my UFO story. And as a kid, I was always more into ghosts and monsters and things other than UFOs. But there were a couple of UFO and alien stories that I learned about pretty young and like really stuck with me. So those are the ones that I want to talk to you guys about tonight. I started making a list of like oh, we're going to talk about aliens because the new alien movie came out. So we need to do some more sci-fi stuff. But we've talked about Ripley enough and we've talked about xenomorphs enough. So I started making a list of things and it started getting really long, really fast. (laughs) It started kind of forming a whole other side podcast in planning this episode. (laughs) So I figured I would dial it back to just the things that really stuck with me. And they are probably the more well-known ones. These are things that I found in books when I like was at the school library and that like small section of weird books that me and the other weird kids were into. The first one I want to talk about is the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter. It's also called the Hopkinsville Goblins Case or the Kelly Greed Men Case. And this is the one that if you hear about it, the aliens are probably referred to as goblins or gremlins. So this was in 1955. Uh, near Kelly and Hopkinsville in Kentucky. A group of five adults and seven children all claimed on the evening of August 21st that their house was taken over, basically, by about a dozen or so small goblin creatures. (laughs) For nearly four hours, this family was holding off these creatures. They were in their house and they would see the The goblins kind of peek in the windows and try to get in the house and hear them up on the roof and then kind of go away and then come back. And these people were just terrorized for hours until finally they showed up at the police station trying to get cops to come and and protect them from these aliens. And the cops were like, oh gosh, these people have been like firing guns and like causing a ruckus. We better go make sure the neighbors aren't pissed off or something. (laughs) And so the cops show up, up. they don't really see any evidence of aliens. They see that people have shot holes in their walls and things to try to get these aliens. Oh no. I know. But it's five, it's five grown adults and a bunch of kids all claim to have seen the same thing. And because it was such a long encounter, it went over the span of hours. This is one of those cases that is like kind of extraordinary that all of these people are agreeing that they see the same things, but then also that it was so like in-depth and there was so much interaction. And then later on, there were kind of additions to the story of people saying, like, well, also the the aliens were hovering and can kind of like glide over the the ground. And also that they they were kind of glow in the dark and that they left this residue, which could have been this like glowy moss that is actually, like, not paranormal or anything like that is, like, just a thing that exists. Like the kind of thing that's bioluminescent? Yeah, that kind of thing, which I don't know if it's native to that area or not, but that's one of the things that people use to kind of explain this away is these people were just drunk and crazy and a lot of the agreed upon explanations are that these people just saw some great horned owls looking through their windows and got scared. <laughs> <laughs> Which is maybe true. They... <laughs> That's an absurd way to explain it. <laughs> I know. So the, the aliens were described as having a large pointed ears, claw like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and like really long kind of spindly legs, probably being around like three foot tall or so. Yeah, that doesn't sound Which like some owl. It doesn't or some really moss. sound like an owl. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they um, have a raccoon problem. <laughs> maybe, but those are some whack raccoons. <laughs> Either way, this is like I'd say probably one of the more well-known UFO encounters or alien encounters, just because it's so freaking bizarre.
2: That is weird. I, I just sent you guys a link to a picture because I don't know if you've ever seen the horror movie The Gate from 1987. Mm-mm. But the description so. of these goblins reminds me of these little demons that climb out of a hole in the backyard. <laughs> that's and they like, oh, They invade the see house. It. Yeah, and these two young uh-huh. boys like trying to fight them off as they try to get into the house.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently these creatures were the inspiration for critters. Okay. Hmm. And then there's also a Pokemon that's based off of these guys. Which
2: one? So these guys in the gate may have been influenced by them too.
0: Maybe. uh, The Pokemon's name is Sableye. It's one I of the later generations. That. And then the other thing I want to mention about this incident is that it was recorded in Project Blue Book, which is like the government's series of documentation of UFOs and alien encounters. And in Blue Book it was listed as a hoax, but then there isn't really any more details about it. Interesting. This is one that could very well just be a bunch of people all agreeing they should tell a story <laughs> or it could just be owls. Of course owls is a they're a reoccurring theme in alien encounters which I know Jackie and I are obsessed with Tim, Twin Peaks all over again right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and and the owls are not what they seem.
1: Yeah that's true but Major Briggs was a part of Project Blue Book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep I'm not sure how I feel if this one is real or not real quote-unquote real but the the idea of these little goblin creatures are have definitely stuck with me since i was a little kid that's pretty fun (laughs) yeah glow-in-the-dark goblins yeah
1: oh but it's just owls and moths it's just
0: owls (laughs) they just drink too much beer The other one that I want to tell you guys about, probably a little bit more in depth, and it's the experience that Barney and Betty Hill had in 1961. They were driving through New Hampshire through this kind of rural stretch of highway when they start to see this big ball of white. And at first it feels like it's kind of far off in the distance. And then all of a sudden it's up above their car and they jump out of the car to check it out and it kind of disappears. And then it comes back again. Barney takes out some binoculars and looks into this flying saucer and sees probably half a dozen humanoid creatures looking down at them. Betty and Barney are looking at these creatures as the creatures are looking back at them and all of them except for one turn towards this panel on the wall. And Barney immediately is like, oh shit, They're going to get us. They jump back in the car and start to drive away as fast as they can. And they think they are getting away, but then the saucer is over them again. And from that point on, they lose probably an hour or so time. And there's a stretch of 35 miles of road where they don't remember what happened. Hmm. So they kind of come to, they finish driving home and try to go to sleep. They are very weird about their clothes. Like, Betty goes and tries to put her dress away and realizes that it's all ripped up. And she later claimed that there was this, like, pink powder on it, but the, the powder blew away, so there's no, like, proof of that. But her dress was all torn up. She tries to put it in the closet, and then she, like, goes to bed, and then she's like, no, I need to throw that dress away. And so she goes and throws it away, and then she tries to go back to bed, and then goes and gets the dress back out of the trash and puts it in the closet. <laughs> And Betty. Yeah, they're just all, like, all over the place and don't really know what to do. For a little bit after that, they're both like, okay, that was weird, but it was just, like, amnesia or something. Until Betty starts to have these weird dreams, probably about a couple days later or so. And for five nights, she has these dreams that just take over her whole life, dreaming that they're out in the woods and these four-and-a-half-foot, five-foot men with gray skin and like no lips and they look like people, but they're not quite people take them into the saucer and she sees her husband there and he gets taken away. They get separated and it's a pretty classic kind of alien examination. I guess they take some like scrapings of her skin. They take some fingernails and some of her hair and throughout this whole dream, she's, she can kind of understand what they're saying, like they're kind of speaking English, but then they're also kind of speaking their own language and they don't speak English very well. And they never really talk to her or move their lips to her, but she kind of understands what they're saying. And then she's kind of being led off of the ship back to her car and what she kind of determines to be the leader of the aliens gives her the this book. And then right as she's getting off the saucer, There's this commotion amongst the men who try to, like, bring her back. And then the leader is like, oh, I'm sorry. They say that you can't have the book and that also you're not allowed to remember this even. And so she remembers in her dream telling them, well, no matter what, I'm going to remember this eventually. And then in her dream, they tell her, okay, get back in your car. Watch us go. And then in her dream, they continue their drive. Huh. So it's the dream is like supposed to be what had happened. Right. And of course, that's really unsettling. <laughs> they start to kind of talk to people in their church about it. And some people mention hypnosis. And Barney is convinced that they have not been abducted. He thinks that's insane. But he thinks that being hypnotized might help both of them at least not be so anxious about this experience. Yeah. Um, and kind of put it behind them. So they eventually find Benjamin Simon, this doctor in Boston and the encounter happened in, let's see, late September. She's having dreams in November and then they meet the doctor in December. And he kind of conducts initial interviews. He thinks that Betty really believes that this has happened, but he also sees that Barney is like more upset about it than he's letting on or like letting himself experience. So starting in January. They do some hypnosis sessions. They work together and do these sessions over the next six months. Throughout these sessions, he keeps them separated so that they can't hear each other's stories and then make up things based on what the other person's saying. Yeah. um, Or influence each other. But Barney goes through hypnosis first he says that throughout the whole experience he kept his eyes closed for most of it because he was really afraid so his recollection of the whole thing is kind of not super specific so barney remembers seeing the ufo and getting back in the car but then he remembers being compelled to drive the car off the road and into the woods and He eventually sees these six men standing on a dirt road. So he gets out of the car and he's really anxious, but the leader reports to him, like, just close your eyes and you'll be fine. And throughout all of this, Barney is very adamant of saying, like, their eyes were really intense and they were always really staring at him. And he could feel the weight of their eyes kind of pushing on him. But he wasn't really afraid of it. He could just, like, really feel the presence, like, a couple of... Quotes of his are, oh, those eyes, they're there in my brain. I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine, and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. Jeez. And all I see are those eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to my body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Ew. Yeah, isn't that a great image of, like, eyeball <laughs> on eyeball? Ew. <laughs> like, I would want to close my eyes, too, Barney. hmm So... Similarly to Betty's dreams, the two are brought onto the ship and separated. Of course, Barney's exam is kind of less detailed because his eyes were closed the whole time, but they took samples from him too. And he also kind of has a similar explanation of hearing English, kind of, but not really understanding what they're saying and hearing them speak in their own language, but then also communicate with him without speaking. So kind of a telepathy thing. And then he remembers being taken off the ship and back in his car. And then he watched the ship leave. And Barney remembered a light appearing on the road and thinking like, Oh God, not again. He and Betty both kind of remember seeing this orb of light on the road, which in their explanation, it's kind of hard to, understand what they mean of if it's like a physical ball of light like plopped on the road or if it's more of like on the horizon mm. but it's brought up again and again because a lot of people are saying like well they just saw the moon or they just saw Venus or something like they're trying to explain away what these people saw but at that point at night the moon had already set and it seemed like they were describing this ball of light as being like really close um, rather yeah. than out in space and then they remember these buzzing noises and, like, their car kind of being hit. And then there's these marks on their car that weren't there before. And things like that. Like, marks on the car and, like, her dress being torn.
1: and Were there marks on them? Because they say they took, like, samples and fingernails and things.
0: Um, Not that I saw specifically. It didn't seem like any of their probing was very severe to the point of, like, it's a cut or something. Gotcha. There was a point when Betty... Was had a needle stuck in her stomach, which apparently was really painful until the leader alien just like told her stop feeling pain and then she didn't feel any pain. So that's a cool trick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in Betty's hypnosis sessions, she pretty much explains her dream, but then her descriptions of the beings are different. Hmm. So in her dream, the beings were more human, just like kind of something's off, and you can't really tell what's what. But then, in both of their hypnosis sessions, they described the aliens as being hairless and having like it's hard to describe, like eyes that kind of aren't on the sides of their head, but aren't like where they should be on the human face. Mm. So that's that's a something that's different. And then Betty, when she's under hypnosis, she describes this star map that she's shown. And so part of her treatment or healing is that Simon, the doctor, is tells her to like draw the star map that she sees. So she draws all of that, and that's kind of put away for a while. And then Simon, after all of these hypnosis sessions, he concludes that Barney's recollection is probably a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams um, and what Betty told him about that. And he doesn't believe that They saw a UFO or had this interaction, but he believes that they believe that they did. Mm -hmm. So he kind of skirts around saying one thing or another, really committing to a prognosis or something. But afterwards, he wrote an article for a psychiatric opinion about this, and he's released some documents of letters back and forth with Betty and has been pretty public about it so it kind of seems like maybe he was entertaining them to kind of get more publicity is one of the the ways to kind of explain away what was released about the hypnosis sessions but then also the fact that he doesn't say like oh yes they were abducted by aliens is also his way of like protecting his image and his career Mm -hmm. Um, so he kind of, he's kind of riding a line of like, you can't really tell what his motivations are. To their credit, Barney and Betty really stick to their guns through all of this. And really, they don't necessarily add too much to their story. There is kind of a unfortunate coincidence where their description of the aliens is pretty close to an episode of The Outer Limits, which aired about two weeks before they had the sessions. It would make me really sad to think that they saw this alien on TV and they were like, oh yeah, let's see, that's what it was. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but Betty claimed that she'd never seen that or limits, but you know, who knows. And then again, Project Blue Book concluded that sighting was probably weather balloons, which is a favorite. Yeah. (laughs) But of course. I also forgot to mention that Barney and Betty are an interracial couple. Uh, Barney is black and Betty's white, and so... Part of their kind of skeptic arguments and other psychiatrists who have seen what this other guy did are kind of trying to explain it away as like this abduction hallucination and stuff was brought on by stress of being an interracial couple in the 60s. But Betty and Barney have said that they always had a happy marriage and it didn't really have any influence on their family or friends. So that was kind of dispelled. It'd be pretty
1: weird for them to use something that would garner so much public attention. Yeah, I agree. Also, are we not going to talk about how their names are Barney and Betty, like, from the Flintstones?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I don't know if if there's any kind of relation there or if anybody else has made jokes about that even, but...
2: (laughs) Maybe it was late in frustration over being picked on about their names.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe it was. Nothing to do with their races. (laughs) Maybe they were like, I'm tired of being those Flintstones couple. Let's be that alien couple now. (laughs) Betty always really stuck to her guns. Probably for the first couple of weeks, didn't really give out too many details because she was afraid of being called crazy. But then once she had the dreams, I think it really changed her whole thought process and how she interpreted the world. There's a bunch of letters that I found of like her handwritten letters back and forth with the doctor that they're working with. And first of all, her handwriting is amazing. It's like this really beautiful script and it's all the like perfect size and like the same height, and it never like goes off the line or anything. Um, So I'm just kind of I'm obsessed with her for that alone. How anybody could have such beautiful handwriting. I just don't understand. (laughs) Maybe she's an alien. Maybe. Maybe the aliens gave it to her. Yeah, maybe. But then later on, uh, about five years later after the incident, a guy named John G. Fuller wrote a book called The Interrupted Journey which really gets into the details of their, this whole story. Part of that book was published in a magazine called Look Magazine. And it it was a really popular book, which Betty and Barney kind of... At that point, it's a little hard to tell if they were using it as a publicity stunt at this point. Mm-hmm. But five years after the incident, I don't know. It It could go either way of saying, like, maybe there... Enough time has passed that this shouldn't still be a big thing and they should just, like move on with their lives or if it's like oh five years later our popularity is kind of starting to take a turn and like people are starting to forget about us so let's put out this book but Betty has always been really interactive with like the UFO study community and she's done a lot of talks and things and so I read different accounts of like people saying oh yeah she's so like right on and like really wants to like explore this whole concept of what's the word hypnosis and like regression and trying to interpret dreams and things and like what this could all mean and like giving a voice to people who have had these like really traumatic experiences but then also they I've heard some other stories of her doing these talks and like just going on and on and on and like way beyond the time limit that she had and like having to get like booed off the stage basically to like make her stop oh geez so I'm not sure really where Betty is at (laughs) with all of this (laughs) she's really sticking to her guns throughout all of it and then there's one last thing um the star map that she was supposed supposedly shown so she drew what she remembered in like 62 61 62 and then in 1969 this star catalog was published of just like really intense documentation of stars And so there is a section of the star map that was released that matches up with what Betty said she saw and what she was apparently told. Interesting. And she remembers seeing the stars, and then there's also some with lines that are supposed to be trade routes, and then there's some dotted lines that are supposed to be, like, traveling roads that aren't used as frequently. And so just coincidentally... This cluster of stars that she remembers seeing also matches up with some existing stars, which some people have said is like, oh my gosh, that's proof. But then people, even as notable as Carl Sagan, are saying like, it's just a random alignment. It's just a coincidence. So there's a lot of stuff here where like it could be interpreted as like, yep, that's proof. Like, oh, the the, the moon had already set by the time that they saw the the orb of light on the ground are on the horizon, but then there are some some ways to explain away, like, oh, no, they're just kind of doing it for attention. Or maybe they they thought they were, and then it kind of got bigger than they thought it was going to get, and then they just kind of rode the wave. Yeah. But the image of this couple in a car being chased by a UFO on an abandoned highway is one that has always stuck with me. I imagine so. That is very... I don't even know how to describe what I know, I isn't it? It's striking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course there was an episode of The X-Files that was inspired by this called um Ho-Zi Chung's From Outer Space.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: Oh, very cool. Those are my, maybe my favorite, and also some of the more popular alien encounters. There's a lot more, of course, that we can get into.
3: I
1: I want to know a little bit about the black eyed children, though.
0: So the black eyed children are similar to kind of the men in black. Not necessarily men in black as like government under undercover, like secretive organization. But men in black as like, there have been so many accounts of weird kind of human but not quite human people being seen who will try to, like, talk to somebody but, like, don't really speak English very well and are just very, like, weird and awkward and, like, follow people around and, like, paranoid people say that they see them a lot kind of thing. So there's a lot of stories of those guys. But then the black-eyed children are kind of a smaller sect of encounters, I think, where it's this group of children with completely black pupil eyes, just black eyes. And they will usually say, can you help me? Can you let me in? Just, you know, let me in. Or can you take me in your car? Take me home? Like I'm lost or I need to use a phone. And sometimes it's one or sometimes it's like two or three kids. And from all that I've really heard of them, I haven't done a super duper deep dive. Mostly just don't let them in your house. <laughs> <laughs> don't let the kids in.
1: <laughs> what do they do?
0: I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I to to know.
0: Yeah, but it's also, I think it's really to our conversations about why kids are so creepy in horror. Like, it makes sense that maybe a, a malicious alien or like a kind of the same way that a, a demon impersonates a child
3: mm.
0: on all my ghost hunting shows, <laughs> pretends <laughs> to be a kid to kind of get in with you or like get your trust. And then once you trust them, like they turn out to be this horrible monster. Like that's a really effective storytelling idea.
1: Yeah. I think there may have been an episode of Adventure Time based on the Black Eyed Children. Oh,
0: really? I don't think yeah, I've it, seen it. It's called Blank
1: Eyed Girls, and it's from uh, like the most recent season. Huh. I'm not caught up yet. So. Well, I'll give you a little synopsis there. Ben and Jake hear on really bad radio station that there are things called Blank Eyed Girls walking around terrorizing people. And mm-hmm. they get home and they find one in their house. Mm. And she's creepy as shit. So they call into the radio station and it's Starchy being stupid. And (laughs) (laughs) Starchy's like giving them all this terrible advice that just keeps attracting more and more and more blank-eyed girls. And I'm just going to spoil the shit out of this for you because I want to and I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Finally, they like get the blank-eyed girls to um, stop just dancing around and being weird. Mm -hmm. And they pull off their eyes, like their big giant (laughs) black eyes. And they have little black eyes. And he's like... Jake's like, oh, you're just kids messing around. I'm going to call your parents. And then they pull off their big, long wigs. And he's like, well, this got weird. And then they (laughs) unscrew their heads. And they have like this weird little screw top on top of their neck area. Uh. And then they peel away their skin and they turn into these weird aliens and float away into space. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Let's assume that's what the black eyed children do when they get in your
2: house my kid does that every night before bedtime oh, my. <laughs> just to like try to get you to let him stay up a little longer like it's, yeah it's a bedtime battle every night
0: feels <laughs> his face
2: off reveals his true alien self <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Black Eyed Children, and it seems like it's maybe related to Creepypasta, mm. or it was adopted by Creepypasta. And it says, the supposed origins of the legend are from some 1996 postin- postings written by Texas reporter Brian Bethel on a ghost-related mailing list relating to alleged encounters with Black Eyed Kids. He describes encountering two such children in Albanyne, Texas, Sabine, Albany, Texas in 1996, and claims that a second person had a similar, unrelated encounter in Portland, Oregon. Surprisingly, the Wikipedia page doesn't get that deep into it, though.
1: Oh, I will dig. I know, me
0: too. (laughs) I heard about them on the Boogie Monster podcast, which is Kyle Kinane and Dave Stone's podcast about weird things, um, and also just, like, about what food they ate that week. (laughs) But the Black Eyed Kids have been said to be extraterrestrials or vampires or ghosts. So, maybe they aren't necessarily aliens, but they seem to kind of have the same, like, show up in random places and talk to seemingly normal, kind of average people in the same way that uh, men in black do.
1: Hmm. Very cool.
0: I mean, creepy, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> I would not like to encounter these children. You
1: always gotta wonder, like, what you would do in that kind of situation. I know, because you, know? you know,
0: like... <laughs> You don't want to be the asshole who just, like, doesn't help a kid that's actually lost. (laughs)
1: Right. And you also, like, want to remain level-headed. And, you know, you (laughs) want to think that you're going to be that person that will handle this with, like, race and strength. But we're not gonna. And you don't want to let the monsters know you're scared. Yeah, exactly.
0: Anyways, I could have gone off on, like, a billion tangents in this episode, so I kept it brief,
1: I think. (laughs) We might have to have a follow-up episode. I would love to, yeah. I think it's cool.
0: (laughs) One of our friends, Walt Keegan, mentioned that he believes in intelligent life beyond our planet, but doesn't think that they've ever visited us. Hmm. Which I, I feel like Aliens is kind of that genre of horror where even people who don't like horror can kind of get on board with it, because it is kind of like, well, if the universe is infinite, then everything is happening out there. Yeah. But then it's just the the next step of like are they actually doing all these things and interacting with us and telling us how to build pyramids and abducting us and probing people and things like that.
1: Yeah, and it seems like they have that same kind of stigma that all supernatural stuff has where like people want to people who consider themselves rationalists don't really want to say Associate. yeah, these Yeah, they don't want to say this is happening because, you know, they want to rationalize that away for other reasons, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, I think it's kind of a bummer. (laughs) Like I think it's kind of, at this this point, it's like arrogant to think that we're the only intelligent
0: life form out there. And among so many other reasons that I'm sad that Hillary wasn't elected, she also promised that she was going to release everything about Roswell. Ooh, which it's my vote (laughs) (laughs) i want to know more about what the government knows yeah there's so many documentaries of like supposedly ex air force or just army people who have encountered ufos while they're out flying planes and things and they
1: pretty much always get excommunicated by whatever
0: yeah they they're always like not allowed to tell their family, of course. And then, like, they just, like, I retire right away. Mm-hmm. Or are, like, bullied into keeping quiet or something. Which makes yeah. for a good documentary, because then they're like, I'm not supposed to be telling you, but fuck the government. <laughs> I can't keep this secret any longer. Pretty much. hmm And then um some recommended watching. uh one of my favorite things ever because it's super duper cheesy but alien autopsy factor fiction is, is on that from the 90s yeah and it's so oh my good God. <laughs> I remember that That's his name from Star Trek is on it so yeah if folks want to get get deep into the alien lore, y'all should watch Alien autopsy and and read this book about the hills. Which I want to read. I haven't read it yet.
1: Barney and Betty Hill. Mm-hmm. And I see you put a uh, UFO hotspots list here. Phoenix, Arizona is where my best friend lives, and now I'm all worried about her. She's gonna get abducted. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> run from the lights, Blue. Run. Yeah, it's funny. Looking at this map, so much of it is concentrated on the west western side. Yeah. If Yoho's don't exist, like, why would that phenomenon happen where, like, all of these either like-minded people or something about the environment or something about the time in in which these cities are kind of coming up and these people are settling over here would account for a higher percentage of these reports?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. How many people getting lost in the desert? Maybe, or up in the
0: woods and... In Washington and Oregon.
1: Or tripping on that cactus acid.
0: That too. Yodi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So before we, before we stop, I want to know if you guys believe in aliens.
1: I do. I firmly do.
0: Do you think that people are getting abducted and interacting with aliens?
1: I honestly would not doubt that it happens. I don't know that it happens with the frequency that it's uh, reported and I'm absolutely sure some stories are made up or exaggerated. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I do think it does happen.
2: I believe that there's life on other planets. I do not believe that people are being abducted or that aliens give a crap about what we're doing (laughs) on our planet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: that's the other thing, because if you think of, like, if beings are progressed enough to be able to travel to our planet, do you think they'd really care about, like, whatever we're doing over here?
1: Like, I'd imagine they would abduct us basically to,
2: like, as a scientific study, pretty much. Yeah. Like, I what is this little creature? Nearly as interesting as we think we are to other species. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The alien thing is, a like, a love-hate thing for me because I love sci-fi stories and I love stories of being in space. Mm-hmm. But I find that alien abduction stories and, like, alien UFO sightings those things go into such a kind of hokey space Mm -hmm. and it's just really hard for my 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 scientific skeptic brain to not to not write it off and you know like even ghost stories while i don't believe really in ghosts unfortunately i wish i could but (laughs) (laughs) um you know i can kind of reserve some Reserve that scientific side of my brain and kind of go, Okay, well, it's just fun to pretend that these things exist. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a bit of a spiritual faith sort of arena. So, you know, you can kind of say, well, maybe, you know, we can let people kind of believe in this because it's it's has it's connected with their faith or with their Mm -hmm. spiritual ideals and things like that. But aliens are tough for me just because it's a physical thing that like has to be proven or disproven. Yeah. And I have a hard time kind of like existing in the middle on that. And just, I tried to watch a whole bunch of, I went through, I fell down a rabbit hole on YouTube a few days ago, watching videos on alien abductions. <laughs> and I shared some of those stories with you too that I was seeing on these videos. And yeah, some of those are absurd. <laughs> it just, yeah, it was like, oh my God, they're just such a huge realm of insanity. Yes. Yeah. In <laughs> on
0: this subject out there. Yeah. yeah, for some reason, the people who, have like weird sexual fantasies. Weird. I mean, not not judgy, but you know, out there yeah, are out like there, also yeah. like into aliens. <laughs> like there's a lot of crossover in those two in that Venn diagram. Yes. Yeah. There's a
2: lot a lot of dudes who claim that they've seen aliens because those female aliens come looking for them, and you know, mm-hmm. they just want to get their clothes off and like, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: If we're skeptical about like. Aliens coming all the way to Earth to learn about us. There's definitely not a way that they're coming all the way over here to get that D. <laughs> <That's unreal. laughs> because Earth it's not, You're not that great, Josh. Yeah, Calm yeah. down. <laughs> Earth men are
2: God's gift to, to the entire universe. Pretty mm-hmm. much, yeah. Not just to women on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also, they're also attached to a lot of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Like conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once you start getting into alien stories and you fall into that hole of like conspiracy theorists and those sort of. And what is of... the government now? Right. Yeah. And those people kind of. Yeah, it's like it's a whole it becomes a conspiracy theory party party really fast with mm-hmm. all kinds of weird places, so. And that's another realm where it's like, well, some of this might actually be
1: true, but you guys are being real crazy about it, so... Yeah. (laughs) You're
0: ruining it for the rest of us. Yeah. It is interesting, though, Melissa, what you said of, like, it is such a, uh, kind of, you want to logic it away and, like, make sense of it, but then I'd imagine any kind of interaction with an alien or a, a flying saucer and, like, being brought on board or something like that would be so traumatic and like really really emotional to mm. where those two those two sides are blending together creating all that kind of tension. I think that's what makes aliens interesting. I'm less yeah. into the whole like the government knows everything and they're hiding it from us. <laughs> or they're using alien technology against us or something. <laughs> Or they are, uh, the government is full of aliens. They that's are a whole aliens. thing, yeah. <laughs> All the I find aliens. the idea
2: of being in space really intimidating and scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, like, in this game Abduction that I'm playing, you know, the idea of, like, being on another planet with nobody around.
1: Yeah, it's a fear it's... of the unknown with no lifeline.
2: Yeah, and sort of that, like, you know, being uh, separated from everything that's familiar and known.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to surrender any kind of agency because, like, just imagine flying on a plane or traveling is, like, so stressful in and of itself and then, like, leaving everything you know on Earth is You're that really to, like, a planet. billion. Yeah. That's yeah. so scary. Aliens, man. Aliens. Aliens. Well, Jackie and I want to do some stuff about Twin Peaks, so if anybody feels really strongly about Twin Peaks, you should get in contact with us. Yes. I think it's okay for us to say now that I think we want to do like a live stream of us making art and talking about Twin Peaks. Absolutely. And we just both got really busy. We meant to do that last week and then it didn't happen.
1: And a new episode just come out last night, so we're gonna have to watch
0: that. So yes we will. And so you can get in contact with us via email at SOS at meganerdmedia.com and on Twitter at Sirens of Scream. Um, is there anything else we want to say before we wrap up? Aliens are cool. Aliens are really cool. <laughs> Sirens of Scream is a member of the Megadern Media family. You can visit Megadernmedia.com for geek-related content, columns, reviews, interviews, and videos, and you can also find us on Facebook and Tumblr. I'm at Sierra Houck on the internet. Jackie, where can people find you?
1: I am Jackie the Robot on
0: Twitter and Instagram. And Melissa? You can find me at Lissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram. Yay! And then next episode, we might talk more aliens or we might talk other things. We'll figure it out. <laughs> it is Alien Month, after all. Yeah, we decided. <laughs> Bye!